may take a seat. It is good to see everyone here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can come together uh, to worship your name. Thank you that we can come around uh, the table on this communion, uh, World Communion Sunday with so many people uh, uh, participating in that table with us this morning around the world. Now as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to, to, to change us, to mold us around who you are and who you have called us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, I was in youth ministry at a church in St. Louis, and Tuesday nights were our middle school night. And a bunch of, just dozens of middle schoolers would, would come out, and we'd have a time of, of music and fun and a message. And then at the end of the evening, we would have small groups. We would break the kids up into small groups, and the idea, which is difficult with middle schoolers, the idea was to be able to, to really talk about, discuss what that message and the scripture meant in their lives and, and to pray together. And I say there was the idea because I got seventh grade boys. And if you ever need to inject a dose of chaos into your life, volunteer with seventh grade boys. And so at the end of the night, I take these, these five, six guys and... The girls had first choice of which rooms they got to use, and so we were put in a coat closet. It's the last room in the church to use. And so in between watching the kids rifle through other people's coats for candy, we tried to have a good discussion about Scripture and, and God, and then we would finish in prayer requests. I'd go around the room and say, hey, how can we be praying for you? How can I pray for you this week? What, what's, what's on your heart? And one little guy always came in the same basketball jersey and basketball shorts and unnecessarily high basketball socks. And when it came to his time to share his prayer requests each week, he had the same two requests. I want a dog and I want to be better at basketball because I want to make the A team this year. I've been on the B team for far too long at my school. And so every week it came around his turn, those two requests, a dog and better at basketball. Now, we would pray for him every week about those two things, but there were two really big problems. Someone in his house was allergic to dogs, and he was not getting a dog anytime soon. And then secondly, we'd play basketball after youth group each Tuesday, and it just wasn't his sport. It wasn't really going anywhere for him. And, and, but every week, I want a dog, and I want to get better at basketball and make this a team. And so one week, it came around after months of these two prayers to him again. I, I asked him, hey, how can we be praying for you? And I was expecting a dog in basketball. Instead, he crossed his arms and said, I don't want you to pray for me. I don't need any prayer. This prayer stuff doesn't work. Have you ever gotten to that place in prayer or maybe heard someone else get to that place in prayer with, oh man, this prayer stuff doesn't work. You've had a list of things you're praying for and some of them haven't come to reality in your life and maybe you're discouraged like, like this little guy was that wasn't getting a dog and wasn't getting much better at basketball. What I think is that it's not that prayer doesn't work but that we have the wrong purposes behind our prayers often. Often we, we approach prayer like using a hammer on a screw and then we wonder why it's not working. It's not because it's a bad tool, it's because we're using it for the wrong 
purpose. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about prayer and really that purpose behind prayer. So we start this in Acts chapter 4. So if you have your, your Bibles with you this morning, we're in this sermon series on Acts. It's this, this book about the story of, of the first Christians. What, what happened to these first believers after Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven? How they took this message out. How they lived in this community with one another. In Acts chapter 3, two of Jesus' close disciples, John and Peter, they performed this miracle. And a lot of people saw it and the crowd gathered around them. And they took this moment to, to tell them about Jesus, his, his death, his resurrection, salvation. But there is a problem, you see. They also talk about how each one of us are, are broken in need of repentance. And I don't know if you know many self-righteous people, but self-righteous people don't like being told they're wicked in need of repentance. And that's what John and Peter said. And so those folks in the crowd, they didn't believe. Well, many believed they didn't, and instead they had John and Peter arrested, imprisoned, and brought before the city's council. Now, this was the same group of people that had just had Jesus killed. This is serious. John and Peter know that when they walk into this courtroom to have to stand trial, their lives may be on the line. So you'd think at this point, as we read along in the story, they'd be saying something to get off the hook. But instead, they say this about Jesus in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's not getting it off the hook, is it? After hearing this, the leaders threaten Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. And remember, that's not an empty threat at this point. It could cost them their lives. But the problem is these crowds had seen them doing miracles, and so the authorities knew that there might be a little bit of a mob mentality against them if they were just to execute Peter and John. So they actually released them from prison. And then we read what Peter and John did next. Verse 23 of, of Acts chapter 4 says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So again, Peter and John are in a really, really tough spot. They've been arrested and threatened by powerful people to not talk about Jesus, and they know that that's exactly what they're going to keep on doing. And what's their first response? It's to pray. How different would our lives be if when we face these tough situations, our first response wasn't to run or, or, or avoid, but to pray. Now Peter and John begin to pray at the end of verse 24. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they begin this prayer with praising God and acknowledging, you know what, God, you're sovereign. You're, you're powerful over everything. That, that, that includes our really tough situation. And then there's two verses that are at the absolute heart of their prayer. We get to read their prayer. And these two verses are at the heart of their prayer. Verses 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
So think about this and think about where John and Peter are. They've been threatened by the same people who killed Jesus. Their lives are at stake. I think for most of us, for most people, the purpose of our prayer, if we were in that situation, would be, uh, dear God, please help me hit the eject button, right? God, help me, get, get me out of this. Spare me from suffering, spare me from execution. But that's not the purpose of their prayer. Look at the purpose of their prayer. They don't ask to be spared supernaturally from suffering or even their own execution. Instead, verse 29, they affirm their God's servants, pray for boldness to speak his word, which they know is the thing they're being threatened for, and ask God to supernaturally work through them for the good of others and to, to speak boldly, to witness in his name. How often do we find ourselves in hard situations in life and our first prayer is, God, get me out of this. Well, maybe like Peter and John, sometimes God's got us in that to bring him glory and to be his witness. So here's the result of their prayer. This is what happens when they get done praying. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God answers their prayer, not by saving them from the suffering. Both of these men are actually going to suffer quite a lot in their lives for their faith. But that wasn't the purpose of their prayer. God answers their prayer to speak boldly in his name by, by empowering them through the Holy Spirit to speak about him, to be his witness. So this passage it has a lot to tell us about the purpose behind our prayers. And it tells us that this first church was just consumed with prayer. It was their first response when they went through this difficult situation. And, and as you look through the story of Acts, this story of these first Christians, this first church, you'll see that there are people that are consumed by prayer around every turn. When we see them waiting for the Holy Spirit, they're praying. When they need to make the decision on who is going to take Judas's place as a disciple, they pray. We see them praying when they send out missionaries, when they face imprisonment. We see them praying for their enemies. They're consumed by prayer. And prayer is one of the values we have here at South Suburban as well. We've prayed many times this morning, right? We say this about prayer. Because we trust the living God, we will be consumed with prayer for each other, our community, and the world Jesus died to save. Because we trust the living God, we will be consumed by prayer for each other, our community, and the world Jesus died to save. Just like the first church in Acts, we want to be consumed by prayer. Now, the classic move in a sermon at this point would be to say, we need to try harder at prayer. We need to try more. Here are 10 steps to better prayer and give it more effort. But I actually don't think frequency of prayer is the main problem. Do you pray? Do you pray every day? If you do, you're actually like most Americans. Most of us pray. A study of the Barna Group found that three-fourths three -fourths of Americans claim to have prayed to God in the last week. And over half of Americans actually pray every single day. Christians in our country do pray. But there's a problem 
with the purpose in our prayers. Lifeway recently did a study and found what we pray about. What's the, the purpose? What, what are these, these things that we pray about? And they found that while three-fourths of us pray for our uh, personal problems, only about 20% pray for people who don't have faith in Jesus. And most people don't pray to praise God's greatness or understanding that intimacy with God and relationship are at the heart of prayer. So yeah, Christians in our country pray, but our prayers often lose purpose and become self-focused. And so we read this prayer of Peter's and John's in, in Acts 4. There's this just selfless prayer of, of God, give us the ability to speak boldly, to witness boldly in the heart, and right in the midst of our lives being threatened. And we compare that to our prayers, and it just feels so foreign and different. Our issue with prayer is not so much frequency, but purpose. So this morning, as we come to this, this passage about prayer and acts, as we read one of these, these, these beautiful prayers by these first believers, I want to look at four biblical purposes of prayer, because we often get ourselves confused around the purpose of prayer. Now, we could, we could come up with, with 20, 30 biblical purposes of prayer, but this morning, uh, we're just going to look at four, because if we look at more than four, y'all are going to leave for lunch. So... We're going to look at four purposes of prayer. And the first purpose of prayer is relationship. Relationship. Simply knowing and being known by God. Relationship. But unfortunately, how we pray, the methods that we use for prayer, often hijack our ability to grow in that very relationship. I've got a friend named Clay. And uh, Clay and I have been close friends since we were six years old. Clay lives in Dallas, and in a few months, I'm going to try to go down and, and uh, spend a few days with him. And, you know, I'm sure I'll walk off the, the plane, and Clay will give me a big bear hug. But what if, right in that moment, I said, Clay, we got to sit down. Let's just sit down. And I took out a list out of my, my pocket, and I started going through my list. And I said, you know, Clay, first you got to make sure we get home safe, and then uh, you know, when we get home, I need a warm towel uh, when we get to your house. Uh, then can you call that coworker of mine? I've been telling you about him for a while, and man, that guy's a pain. You need to take care of him. Also, my back hurts, and uh, you need to kind of figure that out. And then I could use a new truck. Not sure if you have enough money to give me a loan. If I did that, and I did that for all two days I was with him, if every minute we spent together was me going through a list of requests, how would that affect my relationship with my friend? It would, right? It would affect our relationship. And how would it make me view him differently? If he did the list, if he checked every box on, on my list, I would come to see him as kind of a genie in a bottle. Nothing more than my Amazon checkout cart that impersonally fulfills my every click and request. But then if he didn't do the whole list, I'd be disappointed. Either way, using all of our time together to work through a list of requests, it would destroy our relationship. But isn't that often what we find ourselves doing with God? So often our prayers are nothing more than lists of what we want God to do. And don't hear me wrong. There is absolutely and should be a place to just bring our worries to God. That, that is absolutely a purpose of prayer, and we should pursue that. But when our prayers begin with, 
and then are spent only on lists of what we want God to do. We come to see him as an ally in my plans instead of a loving father that I can actually know. We forget prayers about relationship. If you watch how Jesus prayed over and over again, Jesus began his prayers relationally. In fact, he, he, over and over again, you see him use at the beginning of his prayers this word father, which is deeply relational, right? He says, father, Abba, daddy. And then when he goes and teaches his disciples how to pray, it starts relationally. This is something we read every week. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. It's Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Our Father in heaven. Father, relationship. Prayer begins with relationship. In prayer, God supplies our greatest need, our need for him, our need to know him, love him, be in a relationship with him. The purpose of prayer starts with getting to know God. This is part of the reason why we praise God during our prayers to remind us of where he stands and we stand in, this, stand in this relationship. And then on our end of the relationship, prayer grows us spiritually. As we spend time with God, as we, we, we pray about God's mission, as we pray about other people, he molds and grows our heart and, and matures us spiritually. So if you're trying to figure out prayer, if you'd say, you know, I haven't prayed a whole lot, lot in my life and I'm trying to figure out how to pray. Know that it's not about having the right words. It's not about sounding like somebody else that you've heard pray before. Just start talking to God like he's right there next to you. Because he is. And for those of us who have been praying for years, a good question to ask ourselves as we come to pray, a question I've been asking myself when I come to prayer is do I want God or do I want God to do something for me? So let's pray this prayer. God, help me to know you better because the first purpose of prayer is a relationship. And the second purpose of prayer is presence. Presence. Simply being present and together with God. Presence builds all of our relationships. A few years ago, I, I went on this overnight backpacking trip with two of my brothers and two really good old, old, old friends. And so we spent the day hiking and catching up and we, we pitched our tent, set up camp. And then once it got dark and we got done with dinner, we, we hiked over the ridge of one of the sand dunes. We're down in south central Colorado. We hiked this ridge of a sand dune and we lay down on the still warm sand and we just start watching the stars. And what was interesting about that night to me was no one really said anything. We were just kind of silent. We just enjoyed this moment of being together with people we were really close to in relationship. It was that presence that, that just helped us build, even in that moment, our relationship together. It's still a moment we talk about years later. Maybe you have a few of these relationships in your life. People that you're so close to that sometimes you talk and sometimes you sit and just enjoy being with them. Just enjoy being present with that person because presence is key to building our relationships. One of the purposes of prayer then is to be present in that very same way with God. Earlier in Acts 2.28, Peter quoted from David in the Psalms when he said, you will fill me with, your jo with joy in your presence. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence. It is an incredible joy and privilege to be present with our creator. And prayer gives us that opportunity. And and to be present with God in prayer is one of the most forgotten purposes behind prayer. We can go and get so busy in our lives, rushing between uh, school and, and work and soccer practice for kids that by the time we sit down to pray, our mind is still going a million miles an hour and we use our prayers just to rush through repetitions and lists and we choose petition over presence in our prayers and it's not surprising that we forget that we're actually sitting in the presence of our loving heavenly Father. You see, God's always present, but we're not always aware of his presence. God is present everywhere, and if you believe in Jesus, he's present within you in the Holy Spirit, and yet we're not always aware that he's present. And if we don't slow down, silence our mind and our hearts to pray, that we can actually, we can actually manage to pray while ignoring the presence of the Father we pray to, and the Holy Spirit we're praying through. And so here's the beauty of prayer. If you don't know Jesus, if you say, I'm not sure, I'm trying to figure this Jesus thing out. Here's the beauty of prayer, is that you might think you've been forgotten and ignored by God, but you haven't. In fact, Christ was so interested in you and loved you so much that he died for you. And prayer is God saying, you know what? I'm so interested in you. I am so loving towards you that I want to be with you. I want to give you this avenue to speak directly to me. I want you to enjoy my presence because I love you. And for the rest of us, if prayer is kind of a normal thing for us, I want to challenge us to begin maybe a different sort of prayer. Maybe it's not every prayer you pray, prayer you pray, but to begin to bring another wrinkle to your prayer life. I want you to try just something for me, just a couple times this week, praying in a different way. Maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't, but take a few times this week to get alone to pray. And you're gonna, you're gonna approach God a little differently in these prayers. You're gonna start with one, just, just one sentence. Just God, I know you're present with me. Help me be aware of your presence. Now, here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. For two minutes after you say that, don't say anything. (laughs) Be silent, be still, and just be aware that God is right there in the room with you. Take time to actually acknowledge that you're present with your creator as you pray. And then, Begin to pray with no agenda. Begin to pray with no list. Just enjoy being there in that room with God. The second purpose of prayer is presence. Third purpose of prayer is mission. When Peter and John prayed in John or in Acts 4, they didn't pray about escaping this threat. Instead, they prayed. Acts 429, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Their prayer was for God to empower them in accomplishing his mission. Our church values prayer, and our 
our value of prayer is largely about God's mission. That value, again, is because we trust the living God, we will be consumed with prayer for each other, and then the whole last two-thirds is about mission, our community and the world Jesus died to save. We want to be a church that's consumed with prayer for God's mission, a church that truly prays for our community, the people just within a few miles of this church and for the world, all the people across the globe who do not know Jesus. We want to be people who pray for God's mission and that God could use us to accomplish that mission. Statistically, most people actually don't pray this sort of prayer. Most people don't pray for people that don't have faith in Jesus. But praying for God's mission is one of the absolute absolute most essential and central purposes of why we pray. And as we pray this prayer for God's mission to become a reality, both in our community and the world, God works on our heart, reminds us that we are supposed to be taking a real and tangible role in seeing that mission come a reality. So if you pray each week through our prayer lists, I know a lot of us do this, right? Hundreds of us pray through those lists every week. Just take those each week and write a reminder on the top to every week be praying for our community. Every week be praying for the world Jesus died to save. Third purpose of prayer is God's mission. And then the fourth purpose of prayer that we want to discuss this morning is request. Request. Sometimes the purpose of prayer is to cry out to God for help. I think the, the two-word prayer I've prayed the mo- most in life is, uh, Lord, help. <laughs> Have you prayed that sometimes, right? That's a prayer. That counts. <laughs> Lord, help. That's a prayer of request. And God is powerful and good and he hears all of our requests. King David prayed these requests over and over again, these cries for help. In Psalm 5, 2, he said, Hear my cry for help. My king and my God, for to you I pray. Request is when we cry out to God for help for ourselves or for others. But it's really important that we think clearly about this purpose of request. Uh, my daughter Eden is 19 months old. And if you, you might have seen her before the service, she runs around the hall and she's about this high. A little blonde, scraggly hair. It's getting there. And uh, about 10 times a week, I find myself in the exact same situation with with her. I'm in the kitchen just cooking dinner or or washing dishes, and she's in the entryway in our house doing whatever toddlers do. I'm not sure. And suddenly I hear this tiny little voice yelling, Dada, help! Dada, help! And so I rush over and I find her in all sorts of situations she's gotten herself into. Last week, there was one time she had tied, accidentally tied her leg into the car seat and couldn't escape. There's another time she had taken her baby doll and, and threw it over the baby gate and then just immediately regretted the decision. Now, there are times that I, I, I answer that cry for help with yes. I you know, untie her leg from the car seat. I get her baby, but there are also times I know if I fix it, She's never going to learn and grow from the situation. She won't find out there are often consequences to action. She won't grow in patience. There are all sorts of things she misses out on if I just immediately come in and fix what's going on. There are also times where what she's requesting just isn't good for her, like her third cookie of the night. 
And I say, no, we don't eat three, four cookies in a day. When we come to this purpose of request in prayer, it's important to recognize two things. First, that sometimes God answers our requests with yes. There are times when God supernaturally enters into this world and he does fix things. He does respond miraculously to our requests. And if we can't recognize that, then it's really impossible to pray in faith for ourselves or for others. But then on the other side, we have to be able to see that there are times that God does not answer yes. There are times God hears that cry, Lord, help. And he answers no. Not yet. Or I've got something better in mind. I've got something different in mind. Sometimes the answer isn't yes because a good father responding to that cry for help of a child knows that difficult situations bring growth. That not every one of our desires and wants in life would actually be good for us to obtain. And the consequences for our actions, they're necessary. And if we don't recognize this, this, this fact that there are times that God, for good reason, says, no, not yet, or I've got something different in mind, then we'll get to places in life where we think we should just give up on prayer, that prayer doesn't work because we're not getting better at basketball and we're not getting the dog. But when we can recognize both of these realities, we can see the true purpose behind request in prayer. The prayer does not have a God-centered focus that ignores me or a me-centered focus that ignores God, but that prayer is about a relationship between me and God. And in requests, we pray not just for ourselves, but for others. I think it's one of the most wonderful things we do as a church. You know, if you put in a prayer request, hundreds of people here at South Suburban pray for you. They really do. That's why our value at South Suburban begins with this, this prayer value. Because we trust the living God, we will be consumed with prayer for each other because we are. We need to pray for others in our church. So how do we put this, this, this purpose of request practically into our prayer lines? Well, try putting relationship before petition. Relational prayer before petitionary prayer. Relate and then request. Fourth purpose of prayer is request. You know, most of us pray. Most of us pray every single day, but many of us can confuse so easily the purpose of prayer. Many of us have actually been discouraged, maybe, because we've lost its purpose. And the thing is this, that when we miss the purpose of prayer, we miss God himself. So I don't want to tell us, go home and try harder. Go home and pray more. Go home and uh, here's two 10-step two plans to help you try harder in prayer. What I want for myself, what I want for every person in this room is that we would pray not to get something from God, but to know God. Not to get through a list, but to be present with our creator. God has given us this absolutely incredible opportunity and privilege of prayer to know him, to be present with him, to be with him, to take a role in his mission, 
to grow in him. And my prayer is that we would run to him in prayer. So let us go to him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, I, 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 I pray for myself and I pray for all of us that you would mold our hearts, that, that you would help us uh, in prayer to yearn for you instead of what you could do for us, that, that you would give us a desire to really know you more, to grow in you, and that that would just be the center of our prayer. Lord, I pray that, that knowing that you will meet us there, knowing that you're always present, knowing that you're always present when we sit down in prayer, that you would change our hearts and minds so that our prayers would be about a relationship with you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand for our final song? Thank you.